We're uh, in verses 31 through 37 today in this series called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember back in week one of this series, I said that there will be some aspects of the Sermon on the Mount that are going to be heavy. And today's topic would be one of those moments. And so I am praying and asking for the Lord's grace here today. The topic is regarding the covenant of marriage. It's regarding keeping your word. And it's also regarding the heartache and devastation of divorce. And some may want to skip this portion of Scripture because of the weight of divorce and because of the ways in which it deeply impacts us or the people around us, whether it's the husband, the wife, the kids, the extended family, the close friends, and relationships that we have. Divorce is a very ugly thing. In fact, the Bible says that God hates it. And I think one of the reasons why he hates it is because of the fallout that takes place among the earthly relationships and the weight of all of that. And for some, this sermon may feel like I am about to rip off some kind of a scab that's on an old wound or maybe even a fresh wound. And um, it is my desire here today to handle this subject with grace and with truth. We do not get to cherry-pick scriptures Picking and choosing which verses that we want to follow or which ones we want to ignore. And so as the series has brought us to this point, this is what we're going to talk about today. What does Jesus have to say about divorce? What does Jesus have to say about being people of the word? And that is the title of the message, People of the Word. And before we begin, I just want to bow our heads right now and ask for the Lord's help and grace in this time. Father, we thank you for this time right here and right now as we spend this together in your word. We're gathered around your word to hear from you. And Lord, this is a topic that can be very painful to walk through. And so right now, I'm just asking that your spirit would just prepare this table right now as we gather around to hear your word, to hear your voice. I'm asking for your your spirit to help us, that you would help me to communicate what it is that you've placed upon my heart to share, and I pray, Lord, you'd help me to do that with grace, with truth, rightly handling your word, and doing so, Lord, with compassion and understanding, and Lord, you know all the situations, and so we pray that in this time, you would speak to every single one of them. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, to start off, I think it would be important to lay a little bit of the foundation of what God's design is for marriage. If you can remember three numbers, one, one, four. That is God's design. It is one man, and it's one woman, and it's for life. 114. That's God's design. But because of the curse of sin, the marriage covenant is susceptible to breaking. And in the Old Testament, Moses actually permitted divorce because of people's hardness of heart. And in Deuteronomy 24, Moses actually talks about issuing certificates 
of divorce because of the hardness of heart and specifically instituted because the woman in the relationship has become unclean. Now, while God instituted Deuteronomy 24 to uphold the sanctity of marriage and also to protect women, over time, man's interpretation of Deuteronomy 24 about giving a certificate of divorce if your wife has become unclean, it was getting more and more twisted and also more and more dishonoring to God. Deuteronomy 24 says that a man could give his wife a certificate of divorce because of her uncleanness. Now, with the rabbis and their teaching of the scriptures, there were a couple different schools of thought. One being that uncleanness meant this, sexual immorality. And that was it. That is what the uncleanness is that's being brought out in Deuteronomy 24. Other schools of thought, uncleanness meant a whole bunch of things. Things that are absolutely ridiculous. Let me give you some examples of reasons why men would serve their wives a certificate of divorce. And you tell me if this sounds reasonable. The first one is, if my wife goes out in public without her head covering on, she is unclean and now I have grounds for issuing this certificate. If my wife was to speak to another man in public... Without me being present, she's unclean, and, and now I have grounds to issue this certificate of divorce. If my wife were to speak ill of my parents, the in-laws, I can now serve her a certificate of divorce. If in preparing my food, it's too salty or it's too burnt, I can serve my wife a certificate of divorce if she's too loud. The example of that being that if she's in the house and the neighbors can hear her voice, I have grounds for a divorce. If a husband finds another woman more attractive than his wife, his wife becomes unclean. It's time for a certificate. You can see how twisted and how dishonoring to God this had become. And Jesus wants to clear some of that up. And we see that here in the Sermon on the Mount. And there's lots of talk about man divorcing his wife. And one question would be, well, could a woman divorce her husband? Well, and the answer to that is at this time it would be no unless it was under very extreme circumstances. You can just feel and see how lopsided things are. And Jesus is about to step in here and straighten some things out. With that said, a certificate of divorce did allow a woman to get remarried. But with all that I've just mentioned to you, you can see how one-sided man's interpretation of God's word had become. And so that is where we're going to begin in our reading. It sets a little bit of the groundwork. And I want to ask you to stand as we read from the word of God. Matthew 5, starting in verse 31. 
Words of Jesus. He says, you've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. And you've also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say, by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say, by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. All right, you can be seated. We're going to start by breaking down verses 33 through 37 regarding oaths, letting your yes be yes, your no be no. And it's important to note here that Jesus is not denying the legitimacy of all oath-taking. In fact, God himself gives an oath in Scripture. The earliest Christians took oaths. Jesus himself testified under oath. He's not saying that all of that is horrible and evil, but he is addressing a narrow and misleading legalism that required that a specific oath be made in order to make our words binding. And the implication of such an approach, to be honest, is that we do not need to be truthful unless we're under oath. It's kind of like when you're talking with somebody and then they shift gears and they go, you know what, I'm going to be honest with you for a second. And you're like, wait a second. Have we not been having an honest conversation up to this point? All of what we say should be with integrity. And our speech, God is a part of all of that, whether or not there's an oath involved. And you've got to understand that the, the Jews, they had contracts, they had agreements, they had oaths that they would make. And they're all kind of like transactions and things like that. And they would bring in these kinds of things, and then they couldn't fulfill it. And you can see how all twisted this gets. And then I think you could also get to the point where you get casual with your words. We live in a culture that man, when they, they've got something that they want to say and they're serious about it or maybe there's circumstances that are frustrating and they go, I swear to God, now you've heard it. I don't think that's an appropriate way to, to talk. I think Jesus is addressing being flippant about that stuff and being careful. You know, you swear on your life? Do you swear on your mom? Do you cross your heart, hope to die? All of that dumb stuff that people do. And I think Jesus is saying, look, just let your yes be yes, let your no be no. If you swear on all these things, you can, you can try that, but guess what? God's there. He says you can swear by heaven, but guess what? That's where he's at. 
You can swear by earth, but that's his footstool. You can swear by Jerusalem, that's the city of the great king. You can swear by your own head, but guess who created that? Swearing by other things does not remove God from the weight of your words. Your words matter. Your words have meaning. Your word is your bond, and I want you to hear me closely. People of the word will be people of their word. People of the word will be people of their word. When Christ touches our life, the Bible says that God is truth. In him there is no lie. There is no deceit. And when the presence of God comes into your life, you should be a person of integrity. You should be a person that speaks truth. You shouldn't have to swear on these things to try to somehow inform someone that, yeah, I'm, now I'm speaking honestly with you. You should be speaking honestly at all times. We are people of integrity. People of the word will be people of their word. And one of the biggest moments in our life when our words matter is at the altar. Sharing our vows with our future spouse. And, and you can take Jesus' statement here as in, let your words matter, let them mean something. And then also this section here that we're now going to shift back to here on the topic of divorce. I want to share these words again. Jesus says, you've heard that the law says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. Notice how he says, can merely do this. Like it's become a point now where we just give it out for the most ridiculous reasons, like I found someone more attractive, or my wife is not a good cook. And some of those reasons that we would just sit here and think are bizarre, but in the reality of the world we live in, these are some of the reasons why people give up on their vows. But he says, I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she's been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. I think it's time to walk through this portion. Jesus here in Matthew 5 is affirming the more traditional school of thought that the reason someone is unclean is because of sexual immorality. Not all of this list that's been created by man. So he's affirming that. And here in this passage, you can reference Matthew 5. You can also reference Matthew 19 as one of the reasons for biblical divorce, and that would be adultery. That one's pretty clear cut. If you've been unfaithful sexually to your spouse, you've committed adultery. And that is grounds for divorce. Another biblical reason is called abandonment. And you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for more about what the Bible has to say in that regard. And here's essentially what it says. If I'm walking through life with my spouse, and I'm a believer, but my spouse is not a believer, 
and they don't want to stick around with me being a believer, and they decide to leave, you've now been permitted, you're released, and you can go and get remarried. But that passage also says if if that unbelieving spouse is willing to stick around, if you stick with it, the Bible says that there's a grace from God that is on their life because you are choosing to stick around. And that grace also extends to the children that are a part of that family. But sometimes the unbelieving spouse will say, I'm out of here. And they abandon the person who's a believer. So we see two very clear reasons for divorce, adultery and abandonment. And I want to read to you some notes that come from the Quest Bible, if you've ever heard of that. The Quest Bible is kind of a Bible that as you're reading, there's all kinds of questions in the margin. And as you're reading, and how many of you, when you read the scriptures, you got questions? Okay. Well, the Quest Bible is designed to lead you to the margins and you can see answers to those questions. And I like what they have to say here. It says, Jesus acknowledged divorce as a less than ideal concession that was allowed because of hardened human hearts. Because of the hardness of heart. Now with that said, I want to proceed with caution. And please be careful here because hardness of heart can be viewed in a variety of of ways. I mean, when you think about it, when there's conflict in a relationship and you're at odds with your spouse, it's easy to point the finger at the other person and say, their heart is hard. And because their heart is hard, I'm out of here. Well, what's going on in your heart? Is it possible that there's any hardness going on inside of you? And some people actually believe that hardness of heart is no longer a valid reason in the New Testament era, that that was something that Moses permitted. And I'll also say this, just because someone may have clear biblical permission to move forward with a divorce, it does not mean that they should. I've worked with people, they had very clear grounds to move on and, and, and divorce And then remarry. And I'm not one to counsel people to get a divorce, even when they have the biblical grounds. Because that is a very personal decision between you and the Lord. And even though they had the grounds, they chose to stay. And I believe the grace of the Lord is on their marriage because of that decision. And as you're processing these things, it's important. As you're considering the reasons and and understanding Scripture, it's important to do all of this with sincere prayer. Consider doing it with fasting and seeking the Lord and seeking God's counsel. And I'll even add the words, long-suffering. To not be quick about these things. But there's a serious nature to this, no matter the reasons one is considering divorce. I want to tackle a few questions that might be resonating right now in people's minds. The first one is this. 
if it seems that I don't have clear biblical grounds for divorce and, and it's a very difficult thing that you're weighing on and, and then the question might be, well, then does God intend for me to just be stuck in this loveless marriage? Is this what he intends for me? And the answer to that is sometimes, yes, that is what you need to do because it's what honors God the most. Proverbs 15 verse 4 says that we should keep our oath even when it hurts. We want to be people of the word. And sometimes that's not always warm and fuzzy and things that we just consume when we take the word in and go, man, that was great. I love that meal. Sometimes when we consume the word, we're like, ouch, this hurts. This doesn't feel good. And it's not about your feelings. It's not about your emotions. It's about what does God say? Sometimes the best thing you can do is stick around and offer your spouse unconditional love and forgiveness and even be willing to, to suffer for the sake of keeping your word. You know, what's interesting is the divorce rate in our culture, it, it's, I think, uh, a bit of a, a thought. It's total deceit. But if I end this marriage, the next one will be so much better. And our culture, I think, believes that. The divorce rate in our culture, as I was looking up stats and listening to different things, upwards to 40% of first marriages end in divorce. And then you think, well, the next one will be better. Well, the divorce rate for second marriages, it goes up to 60%. And then you think, well, after two, I think I can get the third one right. But it goes up even higher. It goes up to 70%. And so the, the culture thinks, just dump them and find the next one that makes you happy. And meanwhile, God's going, stick it out. Because what happens if you allow the grace of God to bring healing into this? Think of the testimony. Think of what I can do if you would allow me to do a work. And I know there's studies out there that say divorce is just as bad in the church as it is out in the culture. And the reason why the stats are the same is because there's two different areas that are sort of um, averaging out to the culture. And it's two categories of Christians, nominal Christians that just show up, punch the card, I got my merit for today, I went to church, I don't really seek the Lord, I mean, I call myself a Christian, I'll call on Jesus when times are tough, but then after that, I'll just do whatever I want, and I'll cherry pick the scriptures, and I like that one, you know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, but God, if you want me to walk through this marriage thing, I don't know if I can do that, you know, I mean, we cherry, these are nominal Christians, and then the other category is devoted followers of Jesus, people of the word. Those who are nominal Christians, their divorce rate is actually 20% higher 
than the culture. But those who are devoted followers of Jesus, their divorce rate is 35% less than the culture. So when they say it's the same in the church as it is in the world, well, that's because we got a lot of people calling themselves Christians. But what we don't have is a lot of people who say, I'm a devoted follower of Jesus and his word. People of the word will be people of their word. I want to give you just an illustration, if you can imagine with me for a moment, a triangle up here. And on each side of the triangle is the husband and the wife. And at the top of the triangle is God. And as people are devoted followers of Christ, they're growing in God's direction. They're growing in their relationship with the Lord. And and what do you see kind of naturally happening as both the husband and the wife are moving toward the Lord? What's happening here? They're moving toward each other. They're growing toward one another. And you can see the Lord at work as they're leaning into him. He will give them the grace that they need to move toward their spouse. So one question that might be going on in folks' mind is, well, what if I'm remarried and I did not have biblical grounds? Am I committing adultery? I want to answer that with some things from the website called Got Questions. If you've ever heard of that website, I encourage you to go to that website when you've got things you're, you're wanting to seek. You can Google this stuff, and you can get a whole world of answers, or you can go to good, solid sources, and they're going to give you good, godly, biblical counsel. And here's what Got Questions has to say in regards to remarriage and whether or not you're committing adultery with that new marriage. And it says, ending a remarriage through divorce would be just as sinful as ending a first marriage through divorce. To sum that up is the marriage you're in now, make that marriage all that God would desire it to be. In my study of this, I heard a pastor share that a man who had been married for years to his first wife, he got a divorce, and then he moved on and, and found another spouse, and then they had kids together. And it was later on in that marriage, he was feeling just this sense, I, I feel like I, I'm in adultery right now because I'm married to this second spouse. And I think what God would want me to do is to end this marriage and then go back to my first wife. And the pastor's like, no, don't do that. This is where you're at right now. Do what God would want you to do with the marriage that you are in. If you chose to divorce in your second or third marriage to go back to a previous marriage, This act would include breaking more vows as you prepare to enter into more vows. No matter the circumstance, once a couple is remarried, they should strive to live out their married lives in fidelity and in a God-honoring way with Christ at the center of their marriage. 
A marriage is a marriage. And God does not view the new marriage as invalid or adulterous. That you're in that marriage. It's not like every day you wake up and you're, well, another day in adultery. Okay? Now, while that act may have been adultery, go to the Lord. Seek his forgiveness. But this is the marriage you're in now. And make it as God-glorifying as you possibly can. And God will use that. In summary, it says, The Bible makes it clear that God hates divorce and that reconciliation and forgiveness should mark a believer's life. However, God recognizes that divorce will occur even among his children. And a divorce and or remarried believer should not feel any less loved by God even if the divorce and or the remarriage is not covered under the possibilities of biblical grounds. And so one question that I also have here to address is, it's possible someone is listening to this message and you think, well, will God forgive me? Whatever caused the divorce, will God forgive me? Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. We already touched on that here today. And believe me, there is weight and there are consequences to our actions and the things that we go through in life and the fallout from divorce and all. It just gets heavy, it gets complicated, and you start mixing that with, well, then this person has a spouse now and that person has a spouse now and they have kids and they have kids and it's quite a blend and and you think, you know what? This is why we have God's grace. Is how do you move forward in purpose when things are as mixed as they can get? And last week I shared with you this King David when I was talking about lust. And I said, when it comes to lust, you can either leave or you can linger. And I said, for Joseph, he left. He fled when that moment came with Potiphar's wife. But when that moment came for King David, he was on the rooftop and he looks out and he sees this beautiful woman and he lingers and he calls this woman to his palace and then he begins to rape this woman. He abused his power, forced it on her, got her pregnant. Then he's like, what do I do now? People are going to know that. I did this heinous act, and so I'll send for the husband to come back, and I'll get him drunk. He'll go home to his wife. He'll sleep with his wife, and we're done. But Uriah won't go back to his wife. He doesn't want to dishonor the men that are out on the battlefield. He goes, they're not home with their wives. I'm not going to go home to my wife. And David's like, what am I going to do? I know I'll have him killed. And you see how this can snowball and we're trying to cover up our sin when we could have just been in the right place rather than being at the wrong place. And so David sends Uriah out. He gets killed. And now come to me, Bathsheba. I will comfort you. You will now be my wife. She's pregnant. They lose that child. They eventually have another child and his name is Solomon. And you talk about how messed up that is, all the things I just explained to you, and you go, God, where are you in the mess? Well, Solomon would go on to be king. And Solomon, you know, he had all kinds of wives. 
he had a bit of a messed up life. But even God's saying, I'm going to bring the Messiah through the line of David and Solomon and King Jesus will come and these guys are in that line and I think it's for the very reason to point out that God will use broken people and broken circumstances to bring about the gospel and redemption in people's lives. Eventually, King David would be called a man after God's own heart. That's a bold scripture to be called a man after God's own heart, considering all the things that he had done, but yet he came to the Lord and asked for forgiveness of the sin and the things that he had done, and God was still with him. And if you've ever been impacted by divorce or remarried, being remarried or, and all of that stuff, God is still with you. He's not left you. He can still do the miraculous. He can still bring purpose in the midst of all that you might be going through. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to be people of the word so that we'd be people of our word, but in the world in which we live in, the curse of sin, and we get caught up in all kinds of stuff, and there's brokenness. But while there's brokenness, there's the grace and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not pointing a finger at you and saying, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. He's saying, I understand. I'm here to extend grace to you. I'm here to meet you right where you're at. And whatever marriage you're in right now, I'm here to help you make that the best marriage that it could possibly be. Marriage is one of the greatest pictures of the gospel. Jesus calls himself the bridegroom. And then he calls the church the bride. And there's a marriage when it comes to the gospel. We, we are united with Christ and he's the head of the church. And, and there's a day where he's coming back for the bride and, and there's going to be a marriage supper of the lamb. And you can read about this in the scriptures. Jesus and those who put their trust in Jesus, it's a picture of marriage. And when we come together as husband and wife. It's a picture of Jesus and the church. It's a picture of the gospel. We testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ with our marriage. No matter how many times you've been married, no matter what the reasons were for divorce or remarriage, whatever marriage you're in right now, let God use that marriage to preach the gospel. Amen? Earlier I said that words matter and you think of people saying, well, I, I cross my heart. And as I sat on that, I thought, that'll preach. Because the only way that I can be someone of my word is if I'm someone of the word. I need to 
cross my heart. I need Jesus. And the work of Calvary and him dying for my sin on the cross, I need the reality of that in my heart. Is the cross a part of your heart, a part of your life? Become a person of the word. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your word. Lord, your word gives us guidance on how to live your best. But as we walk in a sin-cursed world, Lord, there's pain, there's heartache, there's separation, there is divorce. And I'm asking, Lord, for your touch upon folks' lives that maybe right now this is a reality for them. And this was one of those messages where they just sat there and they're like, this is where I'm at, what do I do? And I pray, Lord, that you would give them the grace to know how to move forward. Minister to them. And Father, I pray for all our marriages that are a part of this congregation. I pray that we would pursue you, and as we pursue you, we'll grow closer to our spouse. And may our marriage be one of the best pictures of the gospel. Lord, we ask for your grace, we ask for your help. And Lord, I pray that if there is someone listening right now that all they're feeling is shame, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Shame comes from Satan. Satan wants to destroy your life, and then when he has, he wants you to feel horrible about it. So in the name of Jesus, I speak right now to that shame. You must leave in the name of Jesus. Father, I'm asking for you, by the power of your name, to enter into those emotions, bring healing, bring your grace. It's not over. Lord, you're right in the midst of where they're at. Encourage their heart right now. And Father, it's possible as this many people are gathered listening to your word, they consider the question, am I a person of the word? Have I crossed my heart? Lord, if there's anyone listening that would desire to bring the gospel into their life, receiving Jesus, the forgiveness of his of our sin and bringing in his righteousness into our life because of what he's done on the cross. If you desire that today, I want to encourage you to pray with me. Say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I'm asking today that you would be my Lord and my Savior, that you would come and you would 
Take up residence in my heart. Make me a new creation. Equip me as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I thank you for this gift of salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.